0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the fateful and for the fateful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce Mercurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Hey, David. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing good. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing all right, all things considered.
0: That was a pretty, the Oilers lost 4-3 in overtime, yeah. and the overtime goal was a complete downer cow. We'll yeah. get to that. But that was a pretty exciting game i really enjoyed that game it was um up and down you know the orders kept battling back they the, the vegas knights took the lead three times for the game and the orders battled back each time and in the end they couldn't battle back in overtime because they sudden death so um the grade a shots the orders were actually the better team for um grade a shots bruce they had 16 to 13 for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And the subset of five alarm shots, which are even uh, more dangerous, were eight to six for the Oilers. So the difference, to some extent, was goaltending just a little bit, but it's close enough. Where, um, And both goalies actually let in uh, weak shots in this game. Um, But the real difference was one play in overtime. Um, that the orders were really um, fell apart on. Okay, our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Bruce McCurdy, what is your good thing?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, not specifically how it was scored, the tying goal, but just the fact that it was scored three games in a row. The orders trailed by a goal uh, more than halfway through the third period. And out of those three games, they uh, managed to net a total of five standing points uh, by each time um, finding a way to tie it up in the last half of the third and not finding a way to give one a backup. Uh, so each time they, you know, they outscored the other team 1 nothing down the stretch when they were down a goal and trying to catch up. It was uh, Matthias Eckholm, of course, was the hero on the big. Slapper in the uh, San Jose game at 16-13 in the third, under four minutes left, then against the the, uh, uh, Arizona Coyotes, it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins who uh, uh, scored uh, at home from McDavid and Drysaddle, it was um, Nugent Hopkins who scored from Drysaddle and Nurse. And tonight it was Warren Fogle who scored from Nurse and Yamamoto at 11:19 of the third. So getting deep enough into the game that you think, you know, we've seen enough of these games where uh, there's time on the clock and then it just kind of melts away and, you know, they just never, next thing you know the goalie's out and it's either a two-goal loss or, you know, they just can't ever get that equalizer and they've got that equalizer deep into the third period in three games in a row. And this one was, I think a little bit of a gift from uh goalie Laurent Brassois, who also otherwise had a pretty good game that this outside shot by Fogle got through him. You must have scored it a B shot. Did you?
0: I did, Bruce. Yeah. yeah I
1: haven't got quite caught up to that point yeah. yet, but I mean, there was some kind of tipping going on or there was some kind of, you know, distraction on the play, but, uh, Uh, I'd have to go back and analyze in some detail, but it looked kind of like a goalie mistake. But guess what? We'll take it. Our goalies have made mistakes too. And it's nice to get that tying goal when you really need it. Like I say, five standing points this week from losing positions with 10 minutes to play in the third period is a pretty good outcome, even as uh, many of us are sour about the one that got away against uh, first place and receding now uh, Vegas Golden Knights.
0: I, I, it was a fantastic uh, fantastic goal by the Oiters. And uh, what I liked about it, and um, so I was concentrating on something else as you were going through the, your your description of it, um, just finishing up my game grades, which mm-hmm. I've already posted. Did you, uh, did you mention how Darnell Nurse hustled in there and popped that puck? Because that was really a key play to that goal. And I love, you know, didn't, Nurse off, often gets criticized um, mm-hmm. for joining the attack too much. And I think he is a little bit too, can be over keen joining the attack, but he played a, he played a, a I gave him a seven this game. It could have easily been an eight. I thought he was really strong all game, really active. Um, he kept the clean sheet at even strength, not one major mistake on a grade A shot against. And in this play, when the owners needed a goal, this is the moment when you do rush in there, when, when, when you do mm-hmm. try to affect the game in that way. And he did. He got in there. He pops that puck, and it goes right to Fogle. Uh, pops the puck off a Vegas player, and it goes right to Fogle, and in the net. And yeah, I was very relieved to see um, the Vegas goalie make a mistake in this game. It's it's um, you know, Laurent Proulx is not a there. There are no perfect goalies, and Lord, he, with the Oilers, he was often plagued by that kind of goal against. You know, the iffy goal against, and that was one. That was that was one of them. There might have been something else going on. There often is a little bit of something else going on 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 an outside shot that goes in. But he should have had it. Goalie should have those shots, generally speaking. And it's a huge bummer to the team, especially in in a game like that, when they don't have it. So uh, I'll be getting to that a little bit later. Um, Bruce, my good thing is the play of Leon Dreisaitl. And uh he, he was fantastic tonight. He, his line was fantastic, I thought. Um, with um well, who was he out there with Hyman and Nuge? Yeah. Um so um they did the orders got down. He did the Oilers got down a goal and um but not for long in the first period. Uh Vegas scores a minute into it. But um three and a half minutes into it, the Oilers score. And it's three great plays in a row by Leon Dreisaitl that drive this goal forward. First, he's on the back check. He he knocks the puck out of the air, and this is this is a tactic that Leon often goes for. Him. And you and I have a little bit of, of fun with this because I I get on Leon for his what I call Matador defense, where he kind of swipes at players as they're going by him. And you will, you point out every time that he he successfully executes knocking down the pass, which he'll often try to do. He is very good at it. Like I I can, you know, I can see why he tries to do this often because he's, he's as good as anyone at batting the puck out of the air. And in this play, it led to a goal forward goal four. so it's a, I would consider, I think it's a high risk play. um, The way he plays defense, sometimes it pays off and it sure did. So first he bats it out of the air, then he takes it in. And with his tremendous strength, Uh, agility and skill. He protects that puck, uses his body to gain position on a Vegas defender, hold off the Vegas defender, and put the puck to Nugent Hopkins. Nugent Hopkins uh, then goes down the wing into the corner, puts it back to dry settle in the slot, and Leon, again, with sublime skill, just slides that puck over to Zach Hyman, who makes a really nice shot. I think he actually tipped the puck where he did, maybe on purpose, because if he had tipped it back towards the goalie. It doesn't go in, but he kind of tips it, and and it looks like an awkward tip, but it does find the the corner of the net. So I think that might have been on purpose from Hyman, but none. it was just, for, from Leon on that play, it was just everything that makes him a great player. His reading of the game leads to the picked-off pass. His incredible, his strength on his skates leads to him making the initial pass to Nugent Hopkins, and then his incredible skill leads to the the goal for and we are just blessed to have a player like him on the Edmonton Orders. And I maybe don't make that point enough. Um, um he was in on he and McDavid led the team. They were both in on nine major contributions to nine grade A shots each. So the Orders had, was that 16 in the order and you know the two big guys were in on most of them, five of those each on the power play. Right. Um one of them mm-hmm. was on, I think one of the, the Maybe the prettiest non-scoring play that, that I've seen this year, maybe you've seen in years, it, this was on the power play. And in quick succession, there was three passes. First, McDavid whips it over to Dreisaitl. Then Drysaddle whips it back to the other side over to Nugent Hopkins. Then Nugent Hopkins whips it back to Dreisaitl, and he unleashes his executioner shots and he gets all of it. He hammers that at the net, and it is going in. Except Braden McNabb plays goalie, gets a little bit lucky there and stops the shot. If it, it was of a stick, yeah, <laughs> yes. What a shot! What yeah, a play! Yeah, that was
1: going in the net for sure. Yeah, what a play! And a the play. puck was the puck was on a string. Yeah, that whole first uh, power. I mean, they scored on the second power play on a on a beauty goal by Leon. The whole first one though was uh, was. Um, Oilers uh, in control and creating stuff and they just couldn't couldn't quite finish the play a couple, a couple times they didn't get the bounce and uh, they uh, but they were in command of the puck I mean I remember there was one sequence where it looked like Vegas was going to clear and uh, McDavid had to stretch full out uh, to beat the Vegas guy to the puck, chip it to Bouchard about 8 feet away and he had like no room or time to do anything with it and he was able to to somehow play it over to Leon and Leon did a one touch behind the back, back to McDavid who'd come around behind everybody. And now he's cutting in on goal and the puck's gone Harlem Globetrotters style basically threw the whole Oilers power play in about two seconds. So that was that was pretty fun and a great chance. Uh that was the one McDavid set up Hyman at the side of the net and Brassois That's robbed right. And there was like four great plays in rapid succession there. Yeah.
0: I thought actually bouchard looked a lot better on the power play than he had looked i thought he looked nervous i think the previous game but this time all his passes were right on the tape right right in in sync with the players movement that he was passing to he really maybe that he was just focusing on that working on that but you know the key is not just on the tape but as the players going forward you, you don't want to stop his momentum at all you want him to just you know it's got to be absolutely perfect the service that you provide and I thought he was really good running the power play uh, in the chances they had. Now, the second, um, Andres, the power play goal that they scored was, was again, just a unique uh, bit of skill from Leandrez so executing a play that very few other NHL players, I think Nathan McKinnon scored a goal in the orders this way, that very but very few other NHL players can execute. And it's the turnaround wrist shot from the high post. So McDavid gets the puck <coughs> and uh, Drysdale's in the in the slot high, kind of in the high slot mid slot uh, um he takes the puck uh on his backhand so there's nothing the defender can do about it he's just getting that puck on his backhand immediately puts it on his forehand and slams it home with a with a fantastic shot um again like it's just like unreal skill from Leon Drysdale on that play very few players can do that um, in, the, in the NHL right now. One other play. There's a couple other plays that I want to talk about. He, uh, Mc, Brayden McNabb cross-checked McDavid um, in the back. A nasty little play, not penalized. Right. Should have been penalized. Right. And um, Leon Leon got a pound of flesh on that one, though. He absolutely hammered McNabb into the boards. And I just love that retribution. I love that mm-hmm. play. And Leon... He's known for that. Like he's he's you know mm-hmm. if you're looking for someone to punish someone who's actually done something bad, you know we, we often want like like we the others would bring in players like Cassian and and such and we'd hope that they would they would actually do that but very rarely did they actually ever hit or go after the you know they'd fight somebody, but you know to actually see the player who's done a dirty play get slammed into the boards like that is good for my heart, Bruce. I was very pleased by that. Um, right at the end of the game, I don't even. There was another really nice play by Dreisaitl. The Vegas, all, in the last seconds of the game, tried to center the puck, and Leon was right there to cut it off, and that was a very dangerous moment. It was with like three uh, seconds
1: left or five seconds left.
0: Yeah. So twelve faceoff wins on uh, twelve out of nineteen. Mm-hmm. So um, I gave Leon. Um, he was he was partly to blame, I thought, on the one goal against. He didn't three, come. Two. Yeah, the three two
1: pass went right through.
0: That's anyway. right. So I docked him a grade for that, but I gave him a I gave him a grade of eight out of ten. He had a great game, um, Bruce. Your bad thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, got a single in on the the game losing goal against in overtime, and it was one of those overtime periods where uh, uh, the order started with their their usual big three. Uh, of uh, McDavid, Drysaddle and Nurse in overtime and not a whole lot happened during their shift but what they showed that was different than usual was uh, uh, discipline to get off the ice early after 40 or so seconds uh, let's see what it was yeah 39 seconds Leon got off the ice in overtime imagine and you're thinking okay well let's keep the lines rolling in overtime and the Boys will get another chance. Well, they didn't get another chance because the second line never got off the ice. The second line, which consisted of uh, Ryan nugent Hopkins, Evander Kane, and Matthias Ekholm were out there for one minute and 47 seconds, and including the game-winning goal for Vegas, or as I refer to it, the game-losing goal against by from an Edmonton perspective. And Vegas played it smart, you know, they, they had, there was a little bit of back and forth in the first part of the shift, and then Vegas gained control after a miss shot by the Oilers, and they took it out to the neutral zone, then they did their changes in the neutral zone, and not one of the Oilers was able to to uh, make it over to the Oilers bench, which of course in overtime it's a long change, and you know for even one guy to get to the bench and be replaced it's going to take a few seconds well that's going to be an odd man rush and vegas managed that very well and then they got the puck into edmonton's ter- territory and there it remained and the Oilers guys uh, clearly were getting more and more gassed as the shift went along and the fact that they were gassed and you know they uh uh, the lactic acid was taken over where the brain used to be, I think, in, uh, uh, at, at a certain point, because it wasn't just the body couldn't react. Uh, the decisions became very questionable indeed. And um, so let's say part of that was just because of the circumstances. Vegas played it smart, and they got Jack Eichel fresh out against uh, against those guys. Uh, but ultimately, the the huge mistake they were just trying to do sort of loose one on one coverage in their own zone, as you see NHL teams doing overtime. It's not like a a structure like a, a you know a three on five penalty kill where you know the defenseman is back and the forward is up. They just all three players can be anywhere in the zone. I mean, the other night we saw Darnell Nurse with a clean cut breakaway, right? And overtime. And in this particular play, Ekholm went out high. I think probably Eichel was his man uh, but the danger man turned out to be uh, Evander Kane's man, Nicholas Roy. He's a good Roy, player, right? Not Noah, yeah. he's Roy. Yeah. and He wound up behind Kane and in front of the net and uh, Kane tried to go over and help Nuge uh, defend the pass out of the corner. Well, they both got beat out of the pass in the corner. Now you got Nicholas Roy in front of uh, Stuart Skinner one-on-one, and Skinner makes the first save as Kane is cruising back towards his man, and then Kane decides to turn off and go behind the net, and the puck is right in the blue paint, and the guy's jamming away at it, and the second chance, he jams it in, and I'm, you know, I was just beside myself, I thought, what are you thinking, you know, like, why would you turn away from that puck? That's your man. The game is on the line. First place, potentially, here is on the line. And you're cruising behind the net, watching the guy whack it in. Terrible. And, you know, that, that's...
0: Uh, <sighs> I could him doing the know. same thing, Bruce. He, I call him, like, it's not... He was late to the play. But he, he had a chance before... He skated by uh, Roy... Is it Roy? We're both confused mm-hmm. by this. He skated by Roy, too, I, I noticed. Like, it was weird. Like, both of them, why do you do that? Like, Kane's first mistake was bad enough. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get sucked over there? Like, be aware. And I understand. Time. Like, we, uh, we I think your point is well taken. These guys are exhausted. They're not yeah. thinking straight anymore. Pretty pretty They're just done. Like, the, 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 their b- brains are glitching. And that would also explain why they don't take out um, Nicholas Roy in front of the net because their brains are glitching and they're just thinking, oh he's gonna score anyway. Like, you know, they just they just they've given up, essentially. Mm. They're not thinking straight. Because because <sighs> normally you'd straight skate right of that guy mm. and blow him over. And Evander Kane's not a shy player, neither is Matias Ekholm, But they mm. both, I thought, had a chance to theoretically take out Roy in front of the net, and they both skated by him. Kane going behind the net and Ekholm Going on the wrong side of them, it was weird. But weird things happen when you're um, when you're really, really, really tired, and that's what they were, um, obviously in that day. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a huge part of it. I mean, it's still hard to explain. You know, at a certain point, instinct should take you to the place where you need to be, but that didn't happen. So, and uh, you know, minute forty-seven second shift for. A line other than your big guys is generally not going to have a happy ending, and this one didn't. Yeah. Instead really, of a shift that long isn't going to have a happy ending, whether it's your big guys or not. To be, you know, perfectly yeah. frank,
0: but yeah. yeah. Instead of in- instinct, they got big stink. All right, um, 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 Bruce. My bad thing is uh, was Stuart Skinner's play, and um, I just. I didn't like either of the first two goals, and I know that we don't necessarily agree on the first one. I've, I have gone back and watched it again, and, on, mm-hmm. and, you know, no, sometimes on a two-on-one or often on a two-on-one, we'll, we'll consider it a great a shot. But this is a different kind of two-on-one, in that the it is a two-on-one. Bouchard's made a bat. Nugent-Hopkins has lost the puck in the corner. Bouchard has wandered up the ice. He's asleep and he's wandered up the ice and someone sneaks in behind him. and So it's a two-on-one. But the initial pass on the two-on-one takes, the, takes that player essentially out of the play. He uh, makes it just as he crosses the blue line and he puts it over to Eichel, who is at, at the very top at that point, very top of the face-off circle. So Skinner, I just felt he had time to move over at mm-hmm. that point and get set and make the save. And he, what he does is he moves over too far. He loses his net on it, and um, Eichel—he when he gets the puck, he's at the top of the faceoff circle. He moves down, and by the time he shoots it, he's just below the dot. So there is there is a fair amount of time there by NHL standards for I thought for the goalie to react. And mm-hmm. the, the the other reason I blamed Skinner is that Eichel doesn't put it in off the post or like no, you know it's well it's, inside he, the post. So. He puts it right through Skinner, and it just just all of that added up to me thinking like. You got to make that save. You've got to make that save, and um, I just felt he didn't. So I'll, I'll let before I talk about the second goal. What, what were your thoughts on it? I
1: well, mean, my take on it was that he never was really set, and that the pass, the two on one pass, went from one circle to the other, and he had to come all the way over. And when Eichel took the pass, it's not like he shot it from the arrival point, but he kind of drifted further away from uh, from the angle from as you say, the top of the circle to basically right on the faceoff dot itself so it's sort of the near corner of home plate but it was still a two-on-one and it was still a you know a, a very high-end NHL shooter uh getting a clear shot against the goal he was trying to you know keep up with the with the you know, movement of the puck so to me it was a marginal grade a shot sure you'd like a save and he didn't get the save and that was the first shot on net in the entire game and then I think it was seven minutes into the first period, the shots were one to one and the score was one to one. You know, see that every night. And um, the goalies did get better. I mean, after that, Skinner made 31 saves in the end because LA uh, L V really brought it hard in the third period, especially.
0: Yeah, it's and I don't disagree with anything you said. Like I I, I do, but I would say that the, the, the pass was a little bit early in the whole sequence. Mm-hmm. And um so I just... Yeah. Anyway, the second goal I didn't like either. Wow. Um, just trying to think about what that one... That was a high slot shot, as I recall.
1: Yeah. Dorothy. Um, oh, that's
0: Dorof, fear, fear. Yeah. Dorof. It, like, so, yeah. So oh, Kessel charges up. It was a good shot. Kessel charges into the zone. And, you know, Ryan might have done well to um, slow him down a little bit. Um, but, it, you know, because everyone backs off when a player comes at you that hard. So... I think, you know, the defense are backing off a bit. Everyone's backing off a bit. Leon's out there. He's backing off a bit. The puck the puck comes and Leon's battling someone else for the puck, and there's just a kind of a bad bounce. But, again, it goes in the pretty high far out there to um, the shooter, Dorofayev. Mm-hmm. and um, he puts in an outside shot. It, 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 that, now, that one was more off the bar, but, again, it was from far enough out, and it looked to yeah. me like Skinner had a clear look at it. You just, again, you expect – an NHL goalie to make that save, you know, that, that kind of shot, is it's, it's a hell of a shot, but even it's, I think it's like a 10% shot. Most goalies will make that save. They're going to make that save like on a league average almost uh, percentage basis. So I didn't like him on that one. And, and that's two goals. And even though Skinner did come back and he did play well the rest of the game and wasn't to blame on, on, on the other goals at all, um, and he made some really big saves as things went along. Um, two iffy goals in a game. That's. I, I was just listening mm-hmm. to Ken Dryden, uh, his new book on Team Canada '72. Mm-hmm. Just, it's a. It, I listened to it on Audible. It's just two hours long. It's, it's almost a ripoff getting a book that's only two hours long. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm such a 1972 nut that I, I wanted to hear what he had to say, and, it, and I and I loved the book. Uh, and what he, the point he made about goaltending, and, and I think he's made this before, is it's not like the goalie has to stop every shot, but the goalie has to be good enough. The goalie, he's just got to be good enough for his team to win. And in this game, Stuart Skinner wasn't good enough for his team to win, and um, that was um, essentially the difference in his game because he let in two iffy goals, and the Vegas goalie let in just one.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, the, the second one, I mean, that's the grade B shot all the way because he was well above yeah. home plate where he let it go. And it was a good shot and sometimes good score score on good shots from grade B locations. And this was one of those where he just got beat by I, I don't think he had any kind of book on the guy. And I think he got surprised. Dude's only played like five, ten games in the league and he's already got five goals. And uh, they showed all five and it wasn't like they were all snipes, but this one was.
0: And he's their clean cost and yeah. he's off to it. He, he really has like eight show. Yeah, yeah well, he scored a bit more in the minor leagues um actually last year, but he only he didn't wasn't exactly ripping it up at the minor leagues this year. Hey Bruce, I just have one quick aside. Mm-hmm. The the Vegas Golden Knights have a player called Mike Amodio on the team. Mm-hmm. This is <laughs> It was like it's, 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 I was just wondering, like, is there an immortal Mike Amodio who always plays in the NHL or, or plays in pro hockey? This is the third Mike Amodio, uh who's played pro oh, hockey. Really? And it's such a
1: it's not the same one. Name. And he's sixty years old. It's three no, different it's ones. Different,
0: three different guys. Really? There was a Mike Amodio who played in the in the WHA in the seventies. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, he played for the. I have his hockey card. That's his. Okay, he played for the the Ottawa Nationals.
1: So he played play, only
0: try. 19 games in the NHL ever for the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Jets in 1979-80. That Mike Modio. Then there was another one who came after that who who just played in the minor leagues in the AHL. Okay. Now it's a slightly different spelling of the name. So well, if okay. this is like a, this is straight out of the Kolchak the Night Stalker, and this is some kind of immortal Mike Modio who's oh yeah, gotcha. who keeps morphing into a younger individual somehow. Mm-hmm. Um. He's 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 tried to fool us this time by change slightly changing the spelling of his name, but we're on to him. We're on to him. We know that he's doing something.
1: Amadio, this guy. He, eh?
0: he, keep his his universal hockey career, his forever hockey career going. Watch mm-hmm. it. There'll be another Mike Modio in twenty years in the NHL, Bruce. Um. All right. Your number.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I think I'll do it this way. I'm gonna go with. Uh, F- 41, 23, and 9, which is Edmonton's record now after 73 games. That's pretty good. 41 right. wins, 23 losses. You know, I mean, yeah. even if you call the, all the overtime losses losses, I mean, they're still way, way over 50%. I mean, they won half their season's games, and they still got nine to play. Presumably they're going to win some of that. Yeah. Not a bad record, considering they were struggling to sort of stay over uh, 50% uh, win rate deep into the season. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're up pushing way higher than that with 41 out of uh, 73. I mean, that's getting closer to 60%. And they, uh, uh, so good on them for getting into the race. But the fact that they took one point tonight and, and Vegas took two, uh, uh, that that's that's a huge blow. Edmonton had to win this game. Ideally, you want to win it in regulation. They come into this game, the home game, uh, against the Golden Knights, down by six. And the clock's, you know, the season's ticking down, 10 games left. And there was still a path to the division crown, but honestly, at this moment, I don't think there is anymore. I think, you know, seven points down with, with nine to play and scheduling the way that it is. And, and uh, I think also... Uh, Woody talking about the games being all dress rehearsals for the playoffs. You know, it's, it's, they're not going to knock themselves out trying to get to first place in their division. And they've got, you know, they've got uh, home and aways. If they have four four different division teams with home and aways that started tonight, because they'll play uh, uh, they'll play uh, uh, Vegas again there. They have home and away against the kings which are huge games potentially for second place in the division and then they have uh, home and aways with each of the ducks and sharks who are who are home and cooled out down in the in the lower dregs of the division and then just uh two road games against uh, central division teams arizona which is their next game on monday and then colorado uh-huh. uh very late in the season so it's, a, it's, it's kind of a mixture of schedules. But the, the Western teams, the Oilers, you would have thought with the big run that they've been on, they would have made serious inroads in the standings. And yet over the same time that they were going 8-2-0, uh, Vegas was going 8-2-0, and Los Angeles was going 8-0-2. So they actually lost ground to the Kings over this time where they, you know, they won five in a row, eight out of ten, and everything you know, going good, and they just couldn't gain any ground. All three of those teams made up massive ground against Seattle, who went 5-4-1 over 10 games, and they lost like five to seven points to each of their three main rivals that are now above them in the standings. Fortunately, they didn't lose any ground to Calgary uh, or the, you know, teams underneath them. So what the Oilers have done, a little bit is separated from the wild card contenders and, and now are very comfortably in a playoff spot. But they have not been able. I thought they couldn't make a run at the division title. And if you told me they were going to go eight and two uh, with ten games to go, that I thought they'd be right in there. But they were sort of just within striking distance, and everything had to go right, starting with that win tonight that they didn't get. And I just don't see how you're going to make up seven points in uh, in just nine remaining games. So I think we're looking at a second or third place. Uh, finish in the Pacific Division.
0: And well, Seattle could still catch them because they're just yeah. Oh
1: yeah, they could be knocked them. down so too. So
0: the Orders could be in a wild card spot, which mm-hmm. which in some ways might be preferable than facing the L.A. Kings because the L.A. Kings are such a physical team. Mm-hmm. Now, if the Orders are in a wild card spot, they would either face well. It's still not known who's going to win. The it could be Minnesota, it could be Dallas, it could be the Avs. So. There's no easy there's no easy outs. Obviously. No, no,
1: all, basically all the Western no. teams are hot.
0: Yeah, even Winnipeg, like you know, if you're, if you're you might want to play Winnipeg, but the orders Yeah, Josh Morrissey, he he's a he's he's um, you know, um kryptonite for McDavid. Like there's a certain defenseman who are fast enough and skilled enough to shut down Connor McDavid, and Josh Morrissey is one of them. So um, you know, there's not many. There's only three or four or five of them. Um, the Avs have two and Devon Taves and Kael McCarr, um, and so in some ways the King's defense is less able to handle McDavid, I think, than uh, you know Drew Doughty in his prime. But Drew Doughty now, I mean, depends how much fouling they're going to let him get away with. Um, frankly, in terms of his handling of McDavid, because if it's just if they let if it's just based on speed and skating, like McDavid is going to get the best of Doughty often. I, I think. But, you know, they're going to let Doughty get away with murder, I, I fear. And this is this is my real fear about L.A. Is They're going to go into L.A. and just get mugged, mauled. and Because um, we've seen this before. And mm-hmm. um, we'll see if that plays out this time.
1: I'm so, Mikey Anderson trying to take Leon Drysaddle right out of the series last year with no repercussions from the league.
0: I wonder if Leon's going to exact some revenge.
1: I wouldn't put it past him. But uh, he'll pick his spot, but uh, I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it the spot might be in one of these two remaining regular season <laughs> exactly. games. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you can be sure markers will be put down. One thing about tonight's game is there was very definitely markers being put down because that was a that was a a rugged uh, game that had some real nastiness in it that uh, reminded me of a little bit of playoff hockey and. You know, these two teams have started to build a rivalry over the years. And uh, as the playoffs are shaping up, you know, they both want to uh, uh, establish their territory. Let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, Vegas came away with the uh, uh, first uh, of, of the end games. I mean, the always won the first two. All three games were four or three. I mean, there's not much to choose between these two clubs. And it's actually the Kings that scare me
0: the, the, the most. I think I think they do too for me as well, and um, they've got lots of really good players and them. All and right, Bruce. Last up.
1: year they got Doughty, they got Arvidsson back. They missed the series last yeah. year. They've got Kevin Fiala. Then they went out and they got the goalie and the defenseman at the trade deadline: uh, Gavrikov and Corpusalo, uh, uh, and. They already had a solid up and coming bunch of players. That's going to be better this year than they were last year. That's going to be a real tough out.
0: Yeah, the Oilers have a healthy Nurse and they have Ekholm um, yep. taking the place of yes. Keith. So I actually think the Oilers uh, and um, I mean Dredsett was healthy till game six, but he wasn't really healthy. I don't think against the Kings ever. Like, I, I think he was slowed down by something even before the, the more yeah. major injury. So um, they got a, a Leon Dreisaitl who may be raising his game. I mean, if it, it, listen, in the last month, the game that Leon Dreisaitl has been playing, it's been consistently excellent. He is flying out there and leading his own line. And I just find that super encouraging. It's, you know, Bruce, it's when they picked up at Coleman. It's when Leon started to play this well that I started to predict the Oilers would win the Stanley Cup. Those two things just give me a ton of hope uh, for this team. All right, to my number, uh, I was going to, you could go, we could go with 105. That's how long the shift was for Kane and Nugent Hopkins. But my, it's a really long shift. Um, mine. It's like, you're not playing barely, guys. Uh, anyway, fair enough. Maybe they didn't get a chance to go off. I thought there was maybe a chance where if they were focused on getting off, like if it was top of mind, there was a moment where at least one of them could have changed off. I thought mm-hmm. at one point and it was a, but you know it's very risky to do so, and, and probably they didn't have a great opportunity. But that was one heck of a long shift, and that was it, it. It's why they made such a bad play in the end. I think my number, Bruce. The orders are now in. Have uh, moved into second. Fallen into second place all time power play. They got they were one to two, one out of two tonight on the power play. But, um, so the 77 78 Montreal Canadiens were uh, clipped along at 31.9 percent. These Oilers are at 31.6 percent. So they still have an opportunity. And considering some of their opponents, maybe they'll, um, They'll be able to um, to crank it up. Man, the power play looked good, especially that first power play. They were throwing the puck around so unbelievably well. It is a well-oiled machine. So, Bruce, when you look at the top 10 all-time for power plays, there's three teams that stand out. There's these Oilers who have uh, two of the top 10 um, all-time, uh, the second and the fifth best power plays all-time, um, there and then there's the the New York islanders of the late 70s and early 80s and of the top 10 they have uh three excuse me yeah three of the top ten um and and if I had to say you know I think the orders when you really look at who the orders are challenging for the best power play of all time I don't think it's the, the Canadians I think it's that those Islanders if you if you look at the run of power play, uh, excellence they had over, I think it's like seven or eight years, it's just unreal, the consistency of that power play mm-hmm. with Clark Bossy, bossy and Stefan Pearson, and probably Clark Gillies in front of the net, or Nystrom. And then yeah. it's the Canadians who have two of those, uh, two in the top ten, number one and number eight. The Islanders have the third, fourth, and sixth, oh. so...
1: Well, one of the things that makes for a great power play, and we have this uh, going for us here in Edmonton, is uh, consistency of personnel. And you find a power play with the main guys that played together three, four, five or more years. They just age like fine wine as a power play unit. And they, they develop the understanding of who's going to go where and do what. And they can do things without looking. And they get more and more options open as they, I mean, we've seen the Oilers power play open kind of a, a whole new set of, of, uh, of options this year with uh, uh, some of the things that Nugent Hopkins has been doing on the power yeah. play, moving into the middle more, and a threat to either shoot from the slot or make that late pass over to dry settle for the slam. you know. And it's uh, uh, it's a hell of a problem for a team to stop them. Uh, some nights the refs stop them, of course. I mean, tonight they got two whole power plays. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of nights where you got one or two power plays, but uh, uh they got to earn earn their chances, they got to make them count. And really, tonight, one out of two with the second power play being great, it's hard. You can't complain at all about that, you can just whine about the refs a little bit, <laughs> which we often look after that detail here at the Coast of Hockey. <laughs>
0: That's our specialty, <laughs> we're, we're good at that. <laughs> Yeah. It's we like to play to our strengths and that's one of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to admit I was a little little not happy when Eckholm took his holding which was a holding penalty in the third period, but after seeing Bukestad get run from behind into the yeah. boards by Eichel, and there was one other national yeah, that was when McDavid got hammered in the cross check by McDavid, and both of those were fair fair play apparently. So but anyway, those was Power play itself is wicked good, and so was that one from New York. You know that New York Islanders power play in 1980 Stanley Cup Finals when they beat Pat Quinn's first place uh, Philadelphia Flyers. New York in the six games scored 16 power play goals,
0: and I remember certain,
1: that it's still a record. I'm certain of probably for any series, not just Stanley Cup Finals. 16 power play goals in six games. Wow. Yeah,
0: I cool. remember when the Oilers of that era, who also had a really good power play, they had, actually won. They were seventh. One of their power plays was seventh out of the top 10 of those 80s teams. Mm-hmm. But when the Oilers played that Islanders team, it was terrible when the Oilers took a penalty because those guys, they especially, especially, Harrison and Potvin at the point, they were just so machine-like in their efficiency, hammering hard wrist shots and slap shots on net. It was brutal. And then you have Mike Bossy lurking around. I mean, what could be worse than that? Um, other than Leon Dreisaitl for the opposing teams. So this power play of the Oilers is, chal- will challenge, is challenging the Unders. And what I'd love to see is that kind of domination in the playoffs, which we might actually get one year with the Oilers' power play in the playoffs. Actually being a major deciding factors in playoff series, as it was for the New York, New York Islanders throughout that era when they won uh, four Stanley Cups. So we'll see. Well, Bruce, let's leave it there.
1: Thanks All for right. Yep. On to uh, Monday in Arizona, Tuesday back in Vegas. Thursday in, uh, uh, where are they playing Thursday? Oh, they're back here on Thursday playing the Kings. So this is a real rugged stretch of, of uh, we'll call them placement games. I, I think first is probably gone now, but we're, they're still playing hard for position and sort of to establish things. So some really interesting games coming up in the next few days.
0: Indeed. Well, that's it for tonight. Thanks for talking.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime... And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.